0: Good morning again everyone. We're so glad that you're here with us today. Good morning Smyrna campus. We love you guys. Glad you're connected there. Everybody connecting with us online. We're happy that you've connected with us through the online service. We hope that you'll uh, Uh, Make use of the chat feature if you've got any questions or want a pastor to follow up with you. Have any decisions you want to talk about being baptized or something like that. Please just put it in the chat feature there and we'll make sure that one of our staff members will contact you and follow up and help you with those decisions that you're thinking about. We are excited about Easter coming up. I wanted to use that video to remind us all, even though a lot of people are still maybe going to connect online, uh, maybe more will come in person on Easter, uh, we still want to be inviting everybody. Invite all the people that you can, and if they're comfortable doing it online, help them see see how to get connected online. If they want to come in person, uh, invite them to come and be with you in person on Easter Sunday. Uh, We've got a couple of uh, exciting things planned for Easter. Uh, It doesn't get any bigger than the resurrection, right? So we're going to talk about that. We're going to celebrate that Uh, every Easter. That's the focus. That's the focal point of our services. But on Friday, Good Friday before Easter, that's April the 2nd, we're going to be doing a prayer walk at each of our campuses. And that's where you, you come in. It's a, it's a quiet time for you to, to think and to pray. And you'll come in and you'll be guided from one station to another. At one station, you'll have some scripture reading and things to remind you of, of what was happening in Christ's life in that last week leading up to the crucifixion and the resurrection. You'll spend time reading scripture and praying, and then you'll go to another station and then another station, and it'll finish up with a communion time at the very end. And we're going to social distance that and recommend masks and all that. People will be uh, taking and spaced out a little bit so nobody's uh, crowded in there. So we're excited about doing the prayer walk on Good Friday, April the 2nd. And then, of course, Easter Sunday, April the 4th, we have our service times, uh, regular service times at 9-11 at the Antioch campus, 10 o'clock at the uh, Smyrna campus. We want you to invite people to connect with us there. We'll be live streaming those services at 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings, just like we always do. Our live stream begins at 9 o'clock. You can always watch, however, the, uh, the live stream is then archived there, and you can go back and watch it anytime. So if you missed any messages in our series, you can always go back and catch those. Those are right there on our YouTube channel. Subscribe to that YouTube channel if you haven't already done that. Uh, you'll always be able to get reminders if you set the reminder button, too, of when we're posting live uh, videos there. So we hope you can be a part of that. Well, this is a momentous Sunday In a lot of ways, I want to, first of all, Sue Ann and I want to thank everyone for last Sunday, for the celebration of 30 years as the pastor here at Lakeshore. Uh, I'm so honored uh, that I've made it 30 years without you guys running me off or anything. And uh, it's been a blessing to me and my family to, to be able to do that. And we've seen so many, God just has done so many amazing things over those 30 years. And we're so grateful for that. But of all the 30 years, this past year has been the most unusual, right? I mean, we've had challenges all the way through, but this past year has been the most unusual of all the 30 years because of the shift that had to happen so quickly. One year ago this week is when everything shut down. Uh, One year ago is when we did our first online-only service. The week before, we had started a new series of messages we were excited about it, and we were planning for the next week as usual. Uh, the tornadoes had hit this area, if you remember, uh, and we were uh, we had teams going out, helping with recovery and, and clean up and repair from the tornado damage that had been done. We adopted two schools that we were helping out, uh, Mount Juliet Christian Academy and Donaldson Christian Academy. They were hit really hard by the tornadoes, and we had crews going over there, helping out with the recovery efforts there. And then, boom, it hit. The news came out, shut down, quarantine, everything's got to stop. And like every other church in America, we had to pivot suddenly, quickly, and make all the adjustments about what are we going to do now? How are we going to do services? How are we going to communicate well? How are we, we, we had to just, on the fly, make all of those decisions and changes. So I want to take a moment right now in honor of that happening a year ago to thank our elders and our staff and our volunteers for doing such an amazing job with all of that pivoting and changing that had to happen. Let's thank them all right now. And of course all through the year we had to keep tweaking and changing and trying to improve and do it better so we've continued to work on that and uh, here we are a year later and we're still doing some social distancing and wearing the mask but at least we're able to to be in person some too if you want to make that choice if you're ready to do that and and it's safe for you to do that and I'm so thankful for those that can but I'm also Thankful that we could still be connected to those who can't be here yet in person with the online. So, thank you all for helping who are a part of getting all of that done for us. Last week, we started a new series called The Daniel Dilemma. The Daniel Dilemma has to do with standing firm and loving well in a culture of compromise. Okay? The culture around us is changing, it always has been changing, but we've seen some changes that especially affect the church and Christ followers happening recently in our culture. The biggest change that's happened in our culture is cultural Christianity is no longer the predominant part of our culture in many parts of our country. Now there are still pockets where it is, but there overall in the United States, cultural Christianity is not the primary cultural influence anymore. And that's hard for us to take as a church. It's hard for us to take individually as Christ followers. We've had home-filled advantage the whole time here in the U.S. as Christ followers up until now. And and when you lose home-filled advantage, you can have a lot of different reactions to it. And one of the reactions many Christians have had is they've gotten angry about it and lashed out about it. And then the other reaction is, well, we got to fix this and we're angry about it. So let's fix it. And the way we've gone about fixing it hasn't always been very Christ-like, especially in the political realm where we were trying to, we're going to fix this politically, you know, by, by uh, this party and this, this, this candidate and this, you know, whichever side of the aisle you're on, we thought we'll fix this politically. And that hasn't gone well. It's just more division, more hurt feelings, more anger. But then there was another choice we could make, and that is to see what God wants to teach us in this time, how God would want us to respond. And we don't, we're not left in the dark about this, because we have example after example in Scripture of people who loved God and wanted to honor God with their lives, but who lived in cultures that did not support that at all. In fact, there's not a single example in Scripture, a time when God's people did not have opposition from the culture around them ever see we were spoiled all those years in the church in America we never experienced it like Christians and the, in the Old Testament those who love God and follow God his people experienced it throughout all the ages this opposition but we're beginning to face more and more opposition more and more challenges to our faith as Christ followers and so in this story of Daniel, we see a great example, there are others in Scripture too, but a great example of, of what happened with Daniel and his friends when they were plucked out of their homeland, taken to a very pagan culture, a culture that was just permeated with idol worship and, and pagan practices, and he's dropped there, and he he doesn't have a support system around him anymore. It's just him and a few friends that are there in the middle of this pagan culture, and He's under the rule of a king who was ruthless with his violent acts and he had to make a choice. Who am I gonna be in the middle of this culture that does not in any way support who God has called me to be? We started last week with learning how when he got there, one of the things that began to happen immediately was what he was taken there to do began to happen. The king had made this uh, decree that they would take the best of the best of the young men uh, from Judah and, and train them for three years to serve him in his kingdom. And one of the goals of that training was to teach them the language and the culture of the Babylonians and, and uh, the history of the Babylonians. And, he, and they were even given new names because the goal was to make them Babylonians. They didn't want them to be those set-apart people of God anymore. They wanted to make them totally and completely Babylonian. Now, in Daniel chapter 1, when they selected these people, it says in verse 6 of chapter 1, among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, the chief official who was in charge of them gave them new names. Listen to it. Verse 7. Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. Now the reason I start with that today is because last week we looked at Daniel and his decision that he would not eat the food that they had prepared uh, that the king was going to supply. He was only going to eat the diet that God had commanded them to eat and he was going to put it to the test and and they agreed to allow him to do that and at the end of the test Daniel and his friends that ate the, the diet of God were, were better by far than any of the other people that were on the king's diet. And so the diet changed. They made the agreement, we'll keep feeding you God's diet. No, they didn't call it God's diet, but we'll, we'll keep feeding you the diet that you prefer instead of what the king was wanting to feed you. So already Daniel is having a huge impact and influence right there in the middle of that pagan culture. But remember, he didn't do it out of anger. He wasn't disrespectful to them in any way. He simply was willing to stand firm and at the same time love well in a culture of compromise. I think we can learn a lot from Daniel's example. And today we're going to look at his three friends example of how we in our situation can stand firm and still love well as Christ followers today. In a culture that's not as friendly as it used to be to our faith. Now, in Daniel chapter 3, we're going to be looking there today, this king uh, has been impressed with Daniel and his friends up until now in a lot of ways. Uh, One thing that's happened in chapter 2, you could go back and read it, is the king had this dream that he needed to have interpreted. He didn't know what it meant. And it was bothering him. And so he asked all of his advisors to interpret the dream for him. Only he said, here's the test he gave them. Not only do I want you to tell me what the, dream is, what the dream means, but I'm not going to tell you what the dream was. You have to tell me what the dream was. And then interpret it for me. You see, he's testing them to see if they really had any insight here. If they really were able to, to know dreams and interpret dreams. And nobody was able to do it. Nobody was able to interpret his dream, and he felt like that was proof that they were false. They were fakes. They were phonies, and so he decided to kill them all. That's how ruthless he was. He's going to kill them all because they couldn't tell him what his dream was and interpret it for him. And so they searched out. They went out to gather up all of these advisors that he had. Now, the king had made Daniel and his three friends... Advisors and administrators over certain areas of his kingdom because he had been so impressed with them at the end of the three years of their training. And at the end of the three years, he's got them in charge of these things, but he's still looking at them as part of that team of advisors that he's got. And even though they haven't been specifically asked to interpret the dream, he's just decided to kill all of them, including Daniel and his three friends. So when they come to tell Daniel this, Daniel says, Well, give me a few minutes. Give me a little time and I'll come back and and give you the answer to your dream. And so Daniel had come back to him and he says, now, nobody's got the ability to tell you what this dream is or to interpret it, but God. And I'm going to tell you what God has revealed. So Daniel told him what the dream was, interpreted it, what it meant for him. And then he said to Nebuchadnezzar, not just to spare him, but to spare all the others too. And Nebuchadnezzar was so impressed with Daniel that he had spared them all, okay? Now, that doesn't mean, hear me out, that Nebuchadnezzar all of a sudden believes in the God of Daniel as the one true God. He does not. He's just impressed with that God among the other gods. He still believes in idol worship. He still believes in all these other gods. But he thinks Daniel's God's pretty cool because he can interpret the dream. So that's a good thing. So he wants to keep Daniel's God on his side, but also keep all of his other gods too. It's kind of like that idea uh, when Paul went to, to speak to the people at the Areopagus and they had this, all these idols out there around there and, and he had an idol to the unknown God, right? Like in case they missed one, they didn't want to miss anyone. Well, that's kind of what Nebuchadnezzar's approach was. I don't want to miss anybody, any of the gods that might could help me out with something. So I, I want to please all of them. I want to have all of them on my side. So he's not become a true worshiper of the one true God. But he has begun now to show some favor to Daniel and his friends. And he gave them even more responsibility in his kingdom. Now in chapter 3, I want to pick up with something he decided to do. King Nebuchadnezzar decided to do that changes the climate again in the kingdom. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. All right. So he's got this new idol that he sets up made out of gold and and he's decided he's going to have this ceremony, this dedication of this new idol. And they're gonna have bands playing, music, and you know, even even back then in that culture, like we do with celebrations today, music is often a big part of celebrations, right? So he's got all these members of his royal band that are gonna play all these instruments, and that's gonna be a signal to everybody when they hear the music, when they hear all the instruments playing, you bow down to the idol that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. You bow down and you worship the idol. Well at this time Daniel's working in the palace but Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego the three names that they've been given are serving as administrators over different sections of the province. And the order goes out to all these sections of the province that when they hear the music they're to bow down to this idol and worship this idol. Well let's pick up in verse 8 of Daniel chapter 3. It says at this time But there are some Jews whom you've set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you've set up. All right. So there's this group of astrologers who know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down to this golden image. Remember, they came with Daniel from Judah. They worshiped the one true God. They know the command of God that you don't have any other idols before him, that he's the one true God. They, they know that and they want to practice that, even in this counterculture that they're living in. You might wonder, why did the astrologers come to Nebuchadnezzar with this? I mean, these are part of the ones that actually Daniel had helped save their lives not that long ago. They were going to be executed because they couldn't interpret the dream. So why are they now turning on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? My guess is because we all know human nature. It's because of how jealous they are of these three guys. You see, they were already probably in office before these other young men got there. And they probably thought they were pretty important in the eyes of the king. And now Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they've been given positions even higher than theirs. And they don't even believe the same thing they do and follow the same practices they follow. And yet they've been given more position and authority and respect than they've been given. I think it was jealousy that was driving their decision to go to the king and say, these three guys, king, they don't honor you. They don't respect you. I think they wanted to get their positions of authority back or reestablished with the king. So it says uh, in verse 13, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? So he gave them the command again. Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then, here's the question, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? See, the king was going to look bad if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down. I feel pretty certain, and I can't read too much into it. We don't know the mind of a guy like Nebuchadnezzar. He was obviously kind of a little bit on the... the, uh, hard to understand side because he would go back and forth so much on what he would do and how we would practice things and who we respected and didn't respect it was always back and forth it's hard to read but I've got a feeling he thought that this threat would do the job and he wouldn't ever have to actually follow through on it some of you parents know what I'm talking about You're in a hurry on a trip and the kids are messing up in the back seat. And you say, if you do that again, I'm going to turn this car around. You don't want to turn the car around. you got to get where you're going, right? You don't really want to turn the car around. You're hoping the threat will stop the kids from doing what they're doing, right? And you teenager does something bad and you say, you're grounded. How long? Forever. You don't want to ground your teenager forever. That's punishing you more than it is them, right? We make these threats sometimes hoping that the threat will be enough to get the action done that we want to have done. And I think maybe that's what Nebuchadnezzar is doing. He's making a threat that he hopes he won't have to follow through with. He's hoping that what he's going to hear back from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is, Okay, you're right. Okay, we'll do it. We certainly don't want to be thrown into the furnace. He's hoping that's going to be the response when he makes the threat. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar? So how did they address him? It's king, right? They're still showing respect. They're still showing honor to the king. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Now, that's not disrespect. What they're saying is, is we don't have a need to defend ourselves because it's true. We have decided we're not going to bow down. We, we don't have a defense. We're just, that's the actual truth. That's not a rumor. That's not just something these the astrologers made up and said about us. That's actually the facts. So there's no need to enter into a defense here about whether or not that's true or not. Okay but they didn't stop there. Verse 17, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve, because they know Nebuchadnezzar recognizes that's one of many gods, right? He he has recognized their God is one among many. The God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. How are they still addressing him? Your majesty, still showing respect still showing honor. They're not yelling and screaming in his face. You can't make me do this. That's not what they're doing, right? It's not fair. They're not doing that. See, your majesty, we want you to understand that if you do throw us into the furnace, our God can deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But look at what they add in verse 18. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. They weren't disrespectful. They weren't angry. They weren't yelling and screaming about how unfair this was. They simply drew a line in the sand and said, here's where we stand. We're going to stand firm. But they love well still at the same time. They were still respectful. They were still honoring him and calling him your majesty, right? Still showing honor and respect there at the same time. You know, one of the things that's happened in our culture that I dislike the most is a lack of respect in how we address authority in our culture. Uh, I, I noticed it a while back. When the president of the United States would sometimes just be referred to by their name without any title. Right? Bush. Obama. Right? We just call them that. Trump. Whatever. Just one name. Biden now. He's President Biden. That's his title. That's the office that he holds. It's just showing respect to use the title. It's just giving honor to the position that the person is in. So not my president. You know, they've said it for every president along the way here lately. Some group has said that's not my president. Well, it is if you are a citizen of the United States. That's your president. So why not use decorum of honor and respect and how you address them? It does not mean you agree with them when you call them president, whatever their name is. It means you honor the office, the position that they're in. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego honored King Nebuchadnezzar. And they used the titles that you're supposed to use to the king in that culture. It does not mean they were saying, we agree with you, king. It's obvious they didn't agree with him on a lot of things. And they stood firm while still honoring and addressing the king respectfully. They still stood firm. They had no idea if Nebuchadnezzar would follow through with his threat when they did that. He had followed through with other threats before. He He had acted savagely towards people before who had disagreed with him and would not obey him. He had executed many people long before it got to this point where he threatened Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they had to assume there's a very good possibility when we draw this line and when we take this stand, we are going to be thrown into a furnace. And what did they still do? They stood firm. Still loving well, but standing firm. What a balance they had found. I think they handled it far better than most of us have handled things that have happened around us in our culture as Christ followers today I really do I don't think it's too late for us to repent and make correction and get better at this than we have been I think we need to start that process right now if we haven't done it already where we try to handle things better with greater respect and dignity and honor than we have been doing I think we need to do a better job with that and we can start now and that's on both sides of the political aisle by the way (laughs) not just one side or the other okay It's on both sides of the political aisle. People are yelling and screaming at each other and being totally disrespectful to each other on both sides of the aisle. And if anybody disagrees with us, the approach we have in our culture today is fire them, cancel them, remove them, right? Dr. Seuss books won't be printed anymore, some of them, right? That's that's crazy to, to think that's the way you need to handle this. If you don't like Dr. Seuss books, don't read them. Don't buy one, right? You don't have to. Nobody's forcing you to. You don't have to eliminate them from existence. When Nebuchadnezzar is angered, he is really angered. Verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed immediately everything changed. He ordered that the furnace be heated up even hotter than it had ever been before. Seven times hotter than they've ever had it before. And he said, throw them in there. And he got the strongest soldiers that he had. And he said, tie them up, bind them up. They still had their clothes on, their robes and their their turbans and everything. They all had all that on. And he said, tie them up and throw them into that furnace. And the fire had been heated up so hot that the soldiers, the strongest that he had, who threw them into the fire, were so burned by the fire that it killed all of them. But they got them into the fire into the furnace. And what happens next is is an amazing, an amazing testimony to God. Nebuchadnezzar thinks that's the end of these guys, right? They're, They're not going to exist anymore after this, but look at verse 26. Nebuchadnezzar approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. You know why he's doing that? Because he looked into the furnace and you know what he saw them doing? Walking around in the fire. And he saw somebody else in there with him. So he he, he thinks we, we put three in there, but you know how many I see in there now? Four. There are four people in the furnace. We only put three in. What's going on here? He is so amazed by this. He wants to get him out of there and talk to him and see see what exactly is happening here. Now, scholars have said for years, trying to figure out who that fourth person was, they've all had these theories about, well, it was the angel of God. Some people have have thought, well, maybe it was Jesus Christ himself. You know, he already existed before he was born as that baby in the manger. Maybe that's Christ himself in there with them in that furnace. We don't know for sure, but we know it was the presence of God in some form, in some way that was in there with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We know that for sure. In there with them in the furnace. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. The satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched. There was no smell of fire on them. (laughs) Now, Now listen to the distinct description that's given here. It's not just that they were pulled out and had to be revived, right? Because they were so badly burned. They were wearing the clothes when they went in. When they came out, they've got the same clothes on. And not only are they not singed by the flames, they don't even smell like smoke. Have you ever been in a smoke-filled room and walked out and smelled like smoke? I mean, it permeates your hair and your clothes and everything when you're around smoke. I grew up with two parents who smoked. They smoked in the car. They smoked in the house. They smoked everywhere we were. I never knew I was one of those kids at school that smelled like smoke because I never knew the difference, right? Until I got... Moved out and went to college and got married and all that, and I didn't smoke, and we weren't around smoke. And then when I got around somebody that smoked, I could smell it every single time, even if they were trying to hide it. And sometimes my mom would try to hide it later, you know. She, I, was, I became a pastor and went to see her, and then she tried to hide the fact that she was still smoking. Right? I knew she's still smoking. You could smell it in the house, smell it on her. Right? They didn't even smell like smoke. It's amazing. Well, Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command, were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces, their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god could save in this way the king promoted shadrach meshach and abednego in the province of babylon now now this is this is a powerful testimony what what Nebuchadnezzar's not saying is i still believe i now believe he's the one and only true god that's not what he's saying he's saying i think daniel and shadrach and meshach and abednego's god can do things none of the other gods can do and this is evidence of it here okay their god can do things no other god can do and so I don't want anybody speaking against their God. He's not saying you've got to only worship that God. He's saying you can't speak against that God. But to show you how ruthless he is, he says, well, if you do, we're going to tear down your house and burn it up and destroy you, you know, if you do that. So he's still a ruthless guy in every way. But at least he knows that Daniel's God, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God, has power to do things none of his other gods that he has idols of can do. I don't know how many of you get the outline on you version. We, we post it there and we have it available for you. We used to print them out, but we're not giving out bulletins right now if you're online listening. From this point, I've got five points that I'm going to cover in the sermon. All right? And you're thinking, we're way into the time here. How in the world is Pastor Randy going to cover five points? And it's a challenge. But it's just five quick lessons I want us to learn from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Five quick lessons as Christ followers today who need to stand firm and love well. Five lessons. The first one is this. When the spotlight is on you as a Christ follower, expect opposition. Don't be surprised by it. And the culture that we're going to be in now, if we're going to stand firm as God's people... It's going to put us more and more in the spotlight to do that. By in the spotlight, I mean, it's gonna stand out more because that's not the direction the culture's going, so that makes it stand out more. That makes people more aware of it if you're doing it consistently. So the spotlight is gonna be on us more. But here's the thing, if you add to that, you become a pastor or a leader in a church or a Christian organization, where well, the spotlight's even more on you then. As a Christ follower, right? You see, when I preach and teach and we're putting it online, we're putting it out there on YouTube and everywhere else, anybody and everybody can see that, watch that, and respond to that any way they want. And I have to expect that. But you have to expect it if you're going to take stands at work and at school, in your recreation leagues that your kids play in, whatever it is. You have to expect that the spotlight's going to be on all of us more who claim to be Christ followers because light shines more brightly in darker places, right? It's more easily seen and recognized in places that are getting darker. So as the culture gets darker, the light of Christ is going to stand out even more. Some people are going to love it and be drawn to it. Some people are going to be repelled by the light. So expect opposition. In fact, the scripture tells us we shouldn't be surprised by it. In Luke 6:26, it says, "Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that's how their ancestors treated the false prophets. If we're really taking the stand we need to take, you could be sure not everybody's going to speak well of you. I loved the 30-year celebration last Sunday, but I bet you could have dug up some people who would not have spoken well of me after 30 years of preaching the truth of God's word. And not compromising on it. There are going to be people who don't like that. You have to expect that. And if you're expecting to follow Christ without that. Then you can never consistently follow Christ. You got to know that going into it. You have to expect some opposition there. But you still need to choose to love well. Even when you're facing the opposition that you're facing. It's still important to love well. That's why he says in Ephesians 6.13, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Right? you got to suit up. you got to get ready. This is not going to be easy in a culture that opposes Christianity. We've had it easy up till now. We didn't take advantage of it like we should, but we've had it pretty easy up till now. But it's changing. We're going to have to get suited up with the armor of God. But we could still love well while we're doing it the second thing is this when people do challenge you keep your cool don't let them push your button so much that you lose your temper and say and do things that are not Christ-like in the process that is so hard but that's exactly the example of Shadrach Meshach and Abednego they are threatened, not just threatened theoretically, they are actually threatened with execution in a fiery furnace. And they never once lost their temper and their response to the king or to the soldiers who were putting them in the fire. Friends, what an amazing example that is. When we are so quick and easy to lose our tempers and speak with disrespect with lack of love, to the people who disagree with us. Proverbs 15.1, remember, says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You're not going to convince people by stirring up anger. I don't know a single person, personally, who has come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, who once opposed Jesus because I argued with them on Facebook about something. Ever. Not even one. I do know people that I have helped lead to Christ that I loved and though, even though we disagreed with each other. That I treated kindly and with respect even though I knew we were in opposite ends on things. You see the difference there? The third thing is this. When given the opportunity though, speak boldly. You see, you will be given opportunities to speak up for what you believe and why you believe it. So be ready. Be be ready to do it well when you have the opportunity. Don't start saying, well, well, I'll, I'll call Pastor Andy and have him get in touch with you when the opportunity is right there in front of you. You're going to lose the opportunity. You need to be prepared to do it when it happens. You need to be able to speak well and lovingly and respectfully to defend why you believe what you believe, what you believe and why you believe it. Colossians 4, 6 says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to do what? Answer everyone. That means people are going to have questions. They're going to be curious, and that's going to open up opportunities for you to respond. But you've got to be sure you're ready to respond in the right way when you get the chance. I can look back in my life and see times where I wasn't ready or I missed the opportunity. I wasn't even paying attention or when I did have it, I just didn't say the right thing. And God's grace is big enough for that. But let's keep working on it and getting better at it. Right. Let's keep working on it. Maybe even practice with a friend. You know the questions people have. You know the criticisms they have. You know what what people are saying about the church. Get ready to answer in a good way. By the way, the church doesn't need people in the church tearing it down. and needs them defending it. More than ever. The church needs people that are in the church to defend the church. When people are being critical and tearing down the church. The church is the body of Christ. It's the bride of Christ. He expects, us, he expects us to stand up for his bride. Not perfect, but it's his bride. And he loves his bride, and he wants us to love his bride, the church. So, in verse uh, 1 Peter 3 15 it says this in your hearts revere Christ as Lord always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have but notice he says do this with what gentleness and what respect a lot of times we're not doing it with gentleness and respect friends we got to get it better at answering the criticisms with gentleness and respect and that doesn't mean you're going to convince everybody but it gives you an audience a willing audience that would listen at least when you do it that way number four when the heat is on like it was for Shadrach Meshach and Abednego literally when the heat is on learn you you can trust God you can trust God I want you to understand something that doesn't mean that in every case when God's people were threatened he saved them from the fiery furnace that he took care of them that way. That's not what it means. In the early church. The first Christian martyr was Stephen. He was stoned for his faith. He was killed by stoning. God didn't deliver him from that. In the physical sense. Of saving his physical life. But Stephen inherited something greater. Than this world could have ever given him anyway. He inherited the kingdom of God. For eternity. That's why he was willing To give up his life for his faith, he knew that it brought him something that the world could never take away from him. That was more valuable than anything the world could give him. And so we have to know it doesn't mean God will never let any bad thing happen to us when we stand firm and love well. We may still suffer some bad things, but we can trust God to take care of us. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There are different levels of persecution, variations of persecution, but we're all going to face persecution as Christ followers of some kind, somewhere along the way. Sometimes it's just ridicule, you know, and we got to toughen up. One of the things, again, I, I see happening in our culture that I really dislike is how offended everybody gets about everything. While we were growing up, you just had to toughen up. One of my coach's favorite phrases when we would get hurt on the football field was toughen up, buttercup. Then he would say, rub some dirt on it and get back in there, right? Christ followers got to toughen up a little bit. This is not for sissies. I can't even say that anymore. That's culturally inappropriate. I'm sorry. Right? We get offended by everything. Or if you're going to get offended by everything, then being a Christ follower is not a good role for you. It's not. There are going to be offensive things all around us. We've got to toughen up and stand firm and love well. The final thing is this, number five. When you're saved from the fire, give glory to God. <laughs> when God comes through, when he provides for you, when he takes care of you, always give him glory for it. Always acknowledge that he's the source of your blessings. Because here's what happens to a lot of people when they start having some success or influence as a Christ follower. is the ego rises up. The ego starts making us think it's us. We're such strong Christians. We're such great leaders. I, I, I can see it played out and I try really hard because it can happen to me too I try really hard to to keep the ego down all the time but here's what happens I, I can see it all the time even like on Facebook some some pastor or 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 Christian leader will post some theological statement and everybody says oh that's so wonderful that's so amazing and the next pastor thinks well I got to post something better than that now right i got to seem deeper and more theologically in tune with things than they were so I could keep my followers, right? I don't want anybody thinking they should follow that one and not this one, right? So you got to try to be more impressive than they were. I see it happening all the time. It's like a competition going on out there. Or, or well, if you don't, you know, Pastor Andy said something I don't like, and I like this other pastor. I'm going to go over there. You know, it's, it's like we're going to threaten pastors that way too, right? It works both ways. Well, here's what we have to know. Our faith has to be, our trust has to be in God and God alone. And if a pastor says something you disagree with, it doesn't mean you have to cancel out that pastor and not be connected to him or that church. That's not what it means. It means you can ask questions and talk about it. And let's look at scripture together and let's work through it because we may not agree on everything, but we can still love each other. And if we do it that way, we can always still give glory to God in the process. We don't have to tear each other down. We don't have to threaten each other. We don't have to treat those outside the church with disrespect and dishonor just because they disagree with us either. We can conduct our lives in a way that always brings glory and honor to God. We need to give Him glory. Second Timothy 4.18, Paul said to Timothy, The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we know that ultimately you will rescue your people who stand firm and love well. And the greatest rescue of all is when you escort us into your eternal kingdom. (laughs) The safest, most secure place that we could ever be. Help us to know we can trust you that we are, when we're in your hands, there's no better place to be. So as your people today, forgive us, we repent when we've not acted in love, but we also repent when we have not made the decision to stand firm in your truth. And by repenting, we want to turn back to you today, Father, and we want to to recommit ourselves to taking the stand we need to take on what you say is true and then asking you to help us through the power of your spirit to develop that fruit of the spirit which is love that we can love others well while we stand firm father i pray that if there's anybody that needs to make a decision today to commit to that life led by jesus and his example that they would be willing to take that step today it's in jesus name that we pray Amen.